chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. And it says, uh, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God. Uh, please remain standing out and just join me in prayer. Father, we just love you again for this day, Father. We just, right now, Father, as your children, we just usher in your presence right now, Father, to just, uh, to just meet us where we're at, Father. That, Father, we would just take this time that as we hear the word of God today, that we would just glorify you by giving you our hearts, by giving you attentive hearts, Father. Father, just bless each one who hears your word. May the, may the word just sink deep into our hearts, Father, and find place in our life. We just love you and thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Good morning. So good to be with everybody this morning. I'm glad that um, you're all here. And it's such a wonderful privilege to be able to worship God on the Lord's Day with the people of God. I'm excited to... um, have a little more space in here, because if you're like me, I need to sit on two of these chairs. <laughs> kind of little chairs, and they're kind of close to each other. So when it gets full in here, it gets warm, right? Um, so we're just excited to be able to do that and, um, and just um, see more people come to a greater faith in Jesus Christ in our community, in the Warren area. And it's, it's been awesome for me, too, to just kind of see people from, from the community um, that that are from the Mount Hope area, Warren, Bristol, Barrington, places like this, that we're trying to reach and reach out to and encourage their faith. So if that's you, we're just so happy that you're here. Praise God for you. I'm just going to pray a little bit more. God, we love you, and um, thank you so much, Lord, for um, all your kindness and goodness to us. There we go. <clears throat> you see, I'm trying to be cool and hip, and that's what happens. It just doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't work. Let's pray. God, um, we just love you, and we come to you with, uh, with broken hearts. Because, God, we know um, how we can be weak. Our flesh can be tempted. How we can fly off at the handle, and we can be angry and unforgiving. Overly sensitive, overly insecure how we can medicate sometimes in so many different ways instead of with the Holy Spirit. So we come to you and we ask that your word would transform us, that your word would grow us. God, and everyone here sitting here has got a different story. Lord, some of us are just happy and have so much joy and are doing such great things and we rejoice with them, but others of us are just broken and 
confused or dry or... God, I pray, Lord, that your word would reinvigorate us, that the people of God and the word of God would transform us no matter what our situation. God, you are good and you, we, we depend on you for all things. God, we are absolutely dependent on you. It's absolutely necessary that you touch us and speak to us. God, if we're ever going to make sense of our lives, God, we just love you and pray that you just bless us now as we come to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I also want to remind you, I forgot to bring one up here with me, but we have little Easter cards, um, little postcards that are sitting on the back welcome center. So if maybe one of our our, um, hospitality people could just grab those and give them to people on the way out. Um, Dad, maybe um, you could do that if that's all right. Um, My my stepdad, Dave, is sick. I think he left. So, oh, no, he's right there. Don't shake his hand. But um, but yeah, take some, bring bring um, friends and family, someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ, and just come. And we're going to preach the gospel, and hopefully, and we're going to have um, an Easter icon after after Easter, and we're going to have a Good Friday service too. But grab those, invite invite people out to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, last week in our text um, and sermon, we saw something quite remarkable. We were going through the book of Acts. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, if you're kind of astute and you're familiar with some of what we do here at Refuge Church. Our church covenant is based on this passage of Scripture. And basically, if you're, if you're new here or new to Christianity, a church covenant basically is when a group of believers come together as a local church, they covenant with each other to live out the Christian life together. And they usually write a little covenant, what that means and what that looks like. Our church covenant covenant comes right out of this passage of scripture, Acts chapter 2, in case maybe you didn't know that. But last week in our text in sermon, we saw something quite remarkable. Um, Some of the very same people who cried out for Barabbas, cried out for the crucifixion of Christ himself. Upon hearing the gospel that Peter had preached, Jesus has already ascended into heaven, and now Peter and the apostles are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit had already come, and now Peter is preaching the first sermon that anyone has ever heard a Christian preach, okay, because this is the first Christian church. Peter, Peter is preaching the gospel to all these different people, and the very same same people, Scripture says, that cried out for Barabbas and, and asked for the crucifixion of Christ, cry out themselves, what do we do? They heard the gospel and they were cut to the heart, if you recall. And we saw what it really means to be a Christian. And if you want to hear that, it's, it's um, a really helpful, I think, way to understand what it means to become a Christian. What is a Christian? What does that even mean? And basically a snapshot of that is that becoming a Christian appeals to the reason that you don't have to leave your brain at the front door. It teaches us about grace, the unmerited favor of God. It pierces the heart. In other words, we are convicted and it leads us to a passionate surrender to follow Jesus Christ. That's what happens, truly happens when you become a Christian. And something, like I said, remarkable happens to this early group. This new understanding of their need for the power of God's salvation and in Christ radically transforms them and produces them in them an incredible beginning. And it's this new group that quite literally is going to spread to the ends of the earth and transform every culture it touches. These early Christians literally change the world in about 50 years. And that is absolutely true. Any history book will tell you that. You might disagree with Christianity, but you can't disagree with that. 
this morning I want to consider what made this group so powerful. Why were they so different that they had such a dramatic effect on the face of the earth, the whole face of the earth? What was so different about it that it could have this kind of impact, which continues to this day? Because friends, this is incredibly important to what we do here. If we don't get this, if we don't know this, then we're just going to be another group, another steeple with another cross tacked onto it. But if we really want to transform lives, we got to pay attention. I got to pay attention. The difference between these people, between their ideas, that this religion that made such a difference in the world has a source, that its power is still available to us. Amen? So what's that difference? In verse 40 through 41, we learn that the very first sermon the Apostle Peter is done preaching, the Bible says that 3,000 people in one sermon come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now that, if you don't know, if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, that's real revival. That is, an, that, that is an awakening of the Holy Spirit of God. You hear me use these words sometimes when I say, give us an awakening. That's what, this is what I mean. I want people radically awakened, the church awakened, and the culture awakened to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's real and that it's powerful. So here's what happens. The very first, we talk about the first American Great Awakening, right? Have you heard of this? Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, all these people, right? Um, Benjamin Franklin was living around this same time. This was the first American Great Awakening. This is the first Great Awakening ever in the history of the church. Here it is. And we get a story, a window into it. For the first three centuries of the church, the church grew explosively all over the earth. One author says that Christianity virtually displaced the entire Greco-Roman Empire and the entire Greco-Roman culture itself. Right? It transformed it. How does, how does, how does a movement do that? Their way of thinking, their way of living, their faith was radically different and radically powerful. But why? (laughs) Why were these early Christians so attractive and so different? And what's the difference between them and other groups and other religions? Those are the questions that we want to be asking. Because this is true about these people. It should be our hope, by the way, that the world around us responds to us like that. What's so different about this group? that it becomes just so appealing, unavoidably appealing. Perhaps society might not ask this about every church on the earth, but gosh, I want this to be asked about our church and the churches around us, that something is different, something is happening that we can't explain. Well, they, they can't explain. We can explain it's the Holy Spirit. And in our text, we find an answer to that question. There are four qualities that we see very clearly in this early church that had the power to transform through the gospel the whole earth. And they were devotion, community, generosity, and worship. Devotion, community, generosity, and worship. We're just going to look at those four things, and then we're going to go home and think about them. Verse 42, devotion, tells us that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. The word devoted means to give yourself away to something. Now this is very simple and very profound. Because we all do this. We're all devoted to something. The question is, what are you devoted to? Some of us are devoted to getting, gaining the approval of others. 
Some of us are devoted to gain, making lots of money. Some of us are devoted to being great parents. You notice some of these things are good things. And we should be devoted to some of these things. But they were devoted to something in particular that for me should fuel everything else. So if I'm devoted to being a good parent, the only way that I'll be a good parent is if I'm devoted to something higher and something better. You see? They were devoted to something in particular, and that is the Word of God. You see that right in the text. They devoted themselves to the apostles' to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. That means, you might not see this in there, but that means they, they were devoted to their local church, the, the community of saints. Because communion is, is always done in Scripture in the context of the local church. They were devoted to believers, in other words. Okay? And they were devoted to prayer. Now, we're, we're gonna, they were devoted to more than just this, but just for now, let's emphasize this word devotion. Some of you might notice, like I said before, that this is the verse that kind of fuels our own church covenant. And there are five disciplines. You remember this? The Devo guy, if you guys remember on a little thing, there's a little man like kneeling and he's, he's looking up and he's got his arms out. And that's a, a way to remember like the five disciplines of Refuge Church. They're worship, Bible study, prayer, fellowship, and mission. We're devoted to those things because we read in Acts chapter 2 that this is what the early church was devoted to. And if we want to have early church power, we need to be devoted to the things that they were devoted to, right? It's not rocket science. You think, like, I went to school, but I didn't need to go to school to learn that. <laughs> right? So here are these people radically devoted to the Word of God, to each other, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Isn't that interesting? They were devoted to prayer. You think prayer is foolish and silly and it doesn't do anything? Friends, if you believe Scripture, if I'm calling out to Christians, and you believe that God is real and He speaks to us through the, the Word of God... Why don't we pray more? They were devoted. They were a devoted group of people. What made the church so unusual was this selfless devotion to God, to each other, and all people, people that they had never even met. And this is where we're going to start really adding some meat to the bones of this, okay? So they were devoted, first of all. But what were they devoted to? Secondly, they were devoted to community. Okay, this is number two. You might have noticed, if you guys, if you were paying attention during the reading of the scripture, the word together, there, a lot of community language is being used. Did you see that? Let me just remind you. Verse 42 and on. They devoted themselves. Everyone was filled. All the believers were together. They sold their property and possessions to give. They continued to meet together in the temple. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Together. And the Lord added to their number. You see? There's this big community. Let me ask you a question. If if you're alone, why? You see, the church, church is not just coming on a Sunday and hearing a sermon in a seat. It's not. It's community. It's life shared together. That's what it is. And friends, if we're saying we're Christians and we don't do that, we might, be, we might be really Christians and believe in Jesus, but we're not acting like Christians. You see? We need to share our lives. And we'll see the significance of this in a moment. Um, how, just how devoted were they to each other? Let's continue. 
Why emphasize the, the community group? What's so, can, why can't we just say, you know, Jesus, salvation is an individual thing. It's about my personal faith in Jesus and just kind of like live life after that. Couldn't God have done that? Yeah, I guess he could have. He could have done anything. He's God, but he didn't. Right? Like, God doesn't do this. He, he saves us into a community, into a body. And I think that it's very much related to who he is in his nature. God is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God himself in his person is one yet three. There's a community in the very nature of God himself. So here they are. Why are they devoted to, so much to this community? I think that's one reason. But remember also who they were. Okay? Jerusalem is going through these high holy days right now. It's the day of Pentecost. Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. Okay? There's all these high holy days happening in Jerusalem. And for a Jew, what that meant was all the Jews all across the, the world, pretty much, that were displaced from Jerusalem would journey on a, on a trip to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. So all of these different cultures, all of these different Jews from all over the world are there, present. Some of them, like I said before, had, they lived there, they lived in Israel, and they had killed Jesus himself. So this is a mixed group. You think you're in a mixed group here. We're not. <laughs> right? I mean, maybe a little bit, but not nearly as much as these guys are. This is a mixed group. In spite of this, they're joined together, different cultures, different languages, different preferences, different personalities, different quirks, high talkers, low talkers, close talkers. <laughs> annoying people right that get under our skin because we think we do everything right and they should be like us and they, then they would be less annoying right like different personalities and quirks high maintenance people low maintenance people you know what's the biggest complaint you know how sometimes a local church you'll see you'll drive by and you know, first baptist blah, blah blah whatever and you'll see like a little sign that says um the korean church of, you know, whatever. So in other words, there's another church renting out space in the same church. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I have too. You know, you know what the biggest complaint is when churches start doing that? I shouldn't open that up because that could get ugly. Um, <laughs> the biggest complaint is the smell of the food. Seriously. I, I took a class in seminary. It was about culture and all these different things. And that was, that was the thing that we had, we had studied. The biggest complaint is the smell of the food. Because they, they, they have these little banquets. You know, we have banquets, right? We have these little things where we're eating and cooking. The, the other cultures come in. They're like, ugh, what's that? And they start complaining and fighting over it. I don't want it smelling like that in here. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> On the day of Pentecost, at the preaching of Peter, you have all different, this eclectic group of people from all over the world that for some reason loved each other and tolerated, tolerated each other's differences. And we can't even do that with people who are 10 years older than us. Oh, well, they're old. I don't want to have lunch with them. Or oh, they're young. Their music is too loud. Their music is too traditional. Right? Like, it looks kind of funny in here. I'm, like, right, all the, our preferences start coming in, and we divide and we segment. But you know what a Christian does? A Christian sees Christ and says, I have Christ in common with these people. And you know, I don't, I don't, this is true, right? I don't, if you're a Christian here, you might have forgotten this because we have, like, sin in us still. But you know this, right? 
like this isn't I'm not speaking anything you don't already know you've experienced this if you've become a Christian there have been times in your life where you had radical amazing fellowship with people you never would even have talked to because of Jesus and it's amazing and if you've forgotten that go to India I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not plugging, I'm not doing a shameless plug for Pat because she's got to sell tickets, okay? I'm serious because sometimes I forgot that and I had forgotten that and I went to India and I'm like, man, I am such an idiot because here are people that love Jesus Christ that are way different from me, that don't wash their hands, right? That don't, they don't do things like we do. And you know what? They look at us and they think we're a little weird too, by the way. Okay? But you know what happens, though? You see Jesus in them. It's like, wow. That's what happens. They were devoted to community. Uniquely and radically together. An eclectic group of mixed cultures from all over the place. They gave away emotional involvement. They gave away money. They gave away time. They gave away possessions for each other. This wasn't just hanging out at a lunch. They were selling their property to care for someone completely different from them. We'll get to that in a moment. They shared each other's homes, it says in the text. They were meeting in each other's homes. They knew the color of their brother in Christ's living room. Friends, I'm going to ask all of us a question. Do you know the color of anyone's living room in this room? <laughs> please, friend, I'm not saying we're going to know all the colors. But please consider that. Let that roll around in your mind. Because we're not just faces. We're not here just to take up space. We're here, to, we're here for each other. To be together. I, I wear that too because I can be a loner I like going for drives by myself let the wind flow through what's left of my hair it's just the way I can be you know go in the woods with a book right <laughs> friends the, the church's vitality and power and life come from this kind of devotion to each other and we need to challenge each other to not hide and if you see someone hiding don't let them if you see someone that you never talk to and that you don't know go up to them after church and say hey I would love you to know the color of my living room (laughs) and if you don't cook good then first of all if you're there just get over it it's okay But if you don't cook good, buy a pizza. Right? (laughs) And and can I just kind of add this as a caveat? Can we all just kind of be okay with the fact that we're human? Right? Like, so if you come over my house, there might be some toys on the ground. And if I go over your house, there might be some little soap residue on your sink, and that's okay, and we're not going to judge each other for it. Because you know what we do, and this is true, we do this sometimes, I do this sometimes. Well, I can't, you know, I just don't have, they could come over tonight, but I don't have time to clean. <laughs> so we're not social with each other, we don't live in community with each other, because we don't want people seeing our messy houses. I'm serious. Come on, 
You've done it. Friends, when I read the text of Scripture, I see sometimes that happening, but not happening here. We see Martha doing this. It's in us to be like this. I get it, and it's hard. But it's okay. (laughs) They shared each other's homes. They shared each other's lives. And this vitality is absolutely necessary, friends. If our church is going to powerfully transform anything, we have to do this. But there's nothing different about us. Go to the movies and sit next to a stranger and watch something inspiring. It's the same thing, right? Well, you say, no, no, it's not about Jesus. Okay, go to a Christian movie. (laughs) Right? Church is more than that. We know that. We We have to spur ourselves on to this. We can't make it on our own. And God is not, disinter- God is, is not disinterested in this. There's a generosity, a vulnerability, a selflessness required for us to live like this, right? We've got to be generous people, vulnerable people. Because like they said, they, they see our stinky, dirty trash can. It makes us vulnerable. We've got to be generous. We've got to be open. Selfless. Oh, I love my Thursday nights. It's when I, maybe you don't care about the cleaning thing, but it's like Thursday nights is my sanctuary. It's when I, when I watch TV. It's when I watch Walking Dead. It's when I, you know, whatever, you know, like that. It's just, oh, it's how I relax. So you know what, you know what happens, and this is kind of more my, my tendency. I'm, I relax every night and never see anybody. I've, I've worked all day. I'm busy, so I don't have time. <laughs> There's a generosity, a vulnerability, a selflessness that, per, that pushes us to this kind of life. And are, are we really, I, I think we have to ask this question, are we really that devoted to God and to each other? To think about that, meditate on it. They were thirdly devoted to generosity. That's number three, right? Yeah, okay, generosity. Ooh, this one's going to hurt. You ready? Come with me. <laughs> Verse 45, they sold their property. We kind of talked about this a little bit. They sold their property. They sold their possessions to give to anyone, underline that, who had need. Imagine this. Just stop for a moment and think about this. This is not prescript, uh, descriptive. You ever heard hear that word before? Like sometimes people read the Bible and say, oh, that's just descriptive. It's not prescriptive. And what they mean by that is, that's just what they did. It's describing what they did. I don't have to do that. The Bible isn't telling me I have to do that. It's just describing what they did. But if it's prescriptive, it means that the Bible is prescribing it to, Christi- to Christians everywhere for all time. See? We need to meditate on this because this is not descriptive. This is prescriptive. The Bible is telling us as Christians that we need to live generous lives. We need to think about the stuff that we have and ask the question, do I need that? Some of us, it's even easier because you know what you could do? And this is myself included. Not only do I not need this, I don't even use it. And I have this $5,000 thing that just sits there untouched and unused. But it's my thing. Look at my thing. We love that thing, right? For the once in our, twice in our life that we might even go on it. Instead of thinking, like, do I really need that? Because what they were doing is they were seeing people that needed. 
They needed food. They needed, they needed help. They were poor. And they were sitting on this mountain of money. And they said, you know, I don't need this big mountain of money. I can survive on much less. So they were, it's not like they, they, were, they were not leaving anything for themselves. The Bible doesn't say to give everything that you have and not leave anything for yourself. It says to consider the other as more important than yourself. It doesn't mean not to consider yourself at all. The Bible does say to plan and to save. That's good stuff. But we need to think about, do we really need as much as we think we need? They were, giving, they were selling their property, selling their possessions, and asking the question, do I really need this? And they were giving to anyone who had need. The early church, this is what's really profound. They weren't just giving this stuff away to each other, but to anyone who had need. And this was the, this was the power of the early church and cultures every, everywhere. Instead of, instead of being selfish about their property, they shared it with each other and all who had need. It was a devotion to selflessness concerning their possessions and their goods. Amen? Now this is nice. Oh, this sounds sweet. How good of them. They were really nice people. <laughs> but, but would this really make a big difference anywhere? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. And here's why. And here's why it made it such a big difference there. One author explains, more than any of its competitors, Christianity attracted all races and classes. Consider when they're living, too. No other religion took in so many groups so that the question must be raised, why did it come to appear first in Christianity? We're going to get to that in a moment. This type of thinking, generosity to all, had its origins in the Christian faith. You say, well, wait a minute, I believe that, and I'm not even a Christian. You believe that because of Christianity, though. You see, you were taught that as an American, who is, our, our culture and much of our values comes from the Bible, comes from Christianity, okay? But no other religion, so why did it come from Christianity? As Americans, we value many of these virtues. But we have to remember, like I just said, that we grew up in a Christian culture. These ideals and these virtues were foreign to peoples of the ancient world. The idea of giving to anyone who wasn't Roman, providing for poor people. Poor people are poor because, and and here's where the carryover is, because you say you think like that, but we don't. Poor people are poor because of, 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 they think that the life before they were bad in the life before. They're poor now, so they're paying for it. I, I, if I give to them, it's going to disrupt their cycle of client, right? I'm, I'm serious. This is what the, the, the religion taught. And you say, oh, I'm, I'm so glad I'm so, so enlightened, right? And I'm not like that. Aren't we so great as Americans? Okay, I'm not going to give to that poor person. You know what? They're probably just going to drink it away. They're poor because they're, they're, they're alcoholics or drug addicts. We do the same thing. I'm not going to give to them because they deserve it. They made the bed that they're sleeping in, right? And, and again, I would say we don't be wise with our generosity. But we do that too, don't we? We still, we still do it. Okay. So what was the difference with them and what was so new about these ideals and virtues? Tim Keller points out these things. Historians tell us several things. I'm quoting him here. First, the idea that you should love your enemies and not kill them. (laughs) I laughed when I read that. I don't know if he was trying to be funny, but, but I laughed. The idea 
that you should not that you should love your enemies and not kill them that you should reconcile with enemies instead of seeking vengeance on your enemies that that was that was what people believed that's what they did that's how they operated when Jesus comes along and the early church comes along and says no love your enemy that was radical that changed everything and they questioned it This first came from Christianity. No other culture, no other religion ever produced this before it. Secondly, other religions did include caring for the poor, but there was an energy coming out of Christianity that was unprecedented. Christians, he says, essentially invented hospitals, orphanages, relief for the poor, and let me add, personally, the abolition of slavery, women's rights, and more. Okay? This all comes from from a a Christocentric, Judeo-Christian theology. That these transformations of culture and virtues and values come from Christianity. Thirdly, the idea of universal human rights was radically new. Every human being, no matter what race or class, had universal human rights in the Christian mind in the early church. And historians prove, matter-of-factly, that this comes out of Christianity and no other culture. When the early missionaries went out and proclaimed caring for the weakest of society, the cultural elites thought it was crazy because they thought that a society based on Christian virtue and Christian ideals would eventually just fall apart. People would take advantage of each other. Right? It would just kind of crumble and decay and it won't work. They were afraid of it. Societies to them were based on respect for strength. Forgiveness appeared as weak. And besides that, the strong have always been the conquerors. The strong eat the weak, right? And they should, so they believed. Yet the ideals that all human beings have dignity, including the poor, that all people should be loved, including enemies, that you should live a life of unselfish service, these ideals came to triumph and took over the world. And friends, they, they, they should be taking over our lives. And by the way, that's why these virtues, if any of them make sense to you, it's because of Christianity. Even if you don't like Christians, these ideals, these virtues are in you because of Christ. Let's at least acknowledge that. Let's at least admit that. The early church was powerful because they were not only generous, but they were devoted to everybody even enemies. Pause. Question. Think. Who are you mad at? Who do you hate? Think about it. Think of their name in your mind. There might be someone. Just consider. You want to change the world with me? Love them. Devoted, keep losing track. Fourthly, to worship. They were devoted to worship. Everyone was filled with awe. They were filled with awe. These people were just good because they wanted to be good. They weren't generous because they wanted to be generous. They weren't sitting around a fire one day and, and thinking, hey, you know, how can we change the face of the earth with our kindness? They weren't thinking about that. They were in awe of the goodness of God himself. Every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord, this is what happened, the Lord added to their number daily. Friends, 
I'm just telling you. We want this area awakened, this church awakened, other churches awakened, Mount Hope awakened. The Lord added to their number daily for a reason. They were devoted to worship. A unique mark of being a Christian is having awe of God. Being in awe of God. We are not just good because we want to help people. That's nice. And some people do that and they're completely disconnected from faith and God bless them. But that is not the Christian. The Christian, if anything, is humanitarian because we believe God is. Because we have a great impression in our hearts for his love and forgiveness and kindness. You see? We're in awe of God. What he's done for us. How he's loved you. And you know what this did? It drove them to meet in the temple courts every single day. <laughs> what? <laughs> every day? Right, we like, oh, you know, Sunday's coming and I can miss twice a month. I went twice this month. Right, so what do you, you you're checking, you know, like the, the card at work. That's what, if, oh, friend, if that's Christianity to you, just rip that card up and throw it away. It's not, okay, I did my thing, I came on Sunday. Every day, they, they were in awe of God daily. Not just once a week. They sought fellowship out with other people every single day. It doesn't mean that they had formal worship services every day. It does mean, however, that they worshiped God every day. And they sought out the people of God to worship with them. And, they, and you know what's interesting? They weren't dependent. Look, the, the local church, we're responsible to provide for you avenues to worship God. But did you know that you should be doing it on your own? We shouldn't have to always like, okay, we need to, do, we need to plan a small group on Wednesday night so people come to it and worship God. Can I just suggest this? If you're not doing that already, you're not going to come to that either. You should be doing it on your own. The church needs to provide things like that. Don't get me wrong. They're important. And and sometimes they kind of spur us on and turn us on to to the importance of doing things like that. But I want you to understand that you don't need to wait for us to fellowship and to worship our king. Right? Amen? Every single day they were there. Because they were in awe of God. And it drove them daily to worship him. And to fellowship with each other. Is there so little... Are we so apathetic and just kind of blah? And we don't really... About our awe with God that... we just It's just fine to kind of show up on occasion. To think about Him on occasion. To talk about Him on occasion. Let me ask you a question. I got to think about this too. When people start talking about God... Does it kind of like inside you kind of start annoying you? Like, oh, I want to talk about the Patriots. This is getting serious. Right? I've done it. <laughs> God, God talk starts becoming annoying. Really? Oh, There's a problem with my heart. Because it shouldn't. I should be so in awe. Like, it's like, would you ever, if you had a billion dollars sitting in front of you, would, would it get sickening to say, look at my billion dollars. Look what I have. 
because you're in awe of that still. And if we don't like talking about God, we just we've forgotten His value. We're not, we don't value Him anymore. We've forgotten who He is. We need to get back to that. Restore unto me, David said this, right? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And in the book of Revelation, they lost their first love. Sometimes that happens to us as Christians, and we need to cry out to the Lord to bring it back. Help us to be alive again inside, to be in awe of Him and who He is. Can you go a day without thinking about and worshiping your great God? I hope you can't. I hope you love Him that much. And if you can, just start praying. Just start praying and asking God, help me to not, like, to not be okay with not worshiping you every day. Okay. They worship God every day. He wasn't a hobby, right? They were fully devoted followers of Christ. And, I, and we need to think, okay, question, think. How can we meet every day with God and with his people? How can we go after the people of God for fellowship and worship our coming prince? Amen. You want to change the world with me? Let's figure that out. So let me close. The Lord at this added to their number daily. Did I say five things? That's why I'm getting confused in my mind up here because I thought I had five. The Lord added to their number daily. And here is the prescription for fruitful ministry. Not modern trend-setting ad campaigns, right? It comes from a life fully devoted to worship God, to love his people, and to care for his world. It's right there. There it is. And that's why these, these Christians live like this, and that's why they had this profound effect. But why did they live? The, where's the power for this? You say, that's all, that all sounds nice, but where's the power? The power is considering Christ. In John 17, Jesus said this, You sent me into the world for their sake I sanctify myself. This is the prayer of Christ. You know what that means? God the Father, you sent me in the world for their sake I devote myself to them. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's doing the same thing that these early Christians did. He's devoting themselves to the Father, to his word, and to the world. That's what he's doing. You sent me into the world, so for their sake I sanctify myself. I set myself apart to be used for them. And that's why, friends, that's why you're even going to heaven. That's why you even know Jesus Christ. Because he decided to set aside his glory, his preferences, all of his stuff, so that you could be delivered and saved. He emptied himself. That's the model. Because it was done for us, we do it for each other. And that's what spurred on these early Christians. Because Jesus... Although in Philippians chapter 2, existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, a man. God become man. Imagine. Died for us. You see, if we're ever going to give a cup of cold water to an orphan, it's going to get old if there's no Jesus. Right? You sent me, Jesus says, into the world to give myself away for others. That's us. He made himself of no reputation for us, rejected by everybody, so that we could be loved by God and God could love and we could love God. 
taking a punishment we deserved for our own profit and for our own joy. When the early Christians first came to know this, you know what that meant? They said, what do we do, brothers? What do we do? No other religion before or after this has said that God gave himself away. Did you know that? You comb the history of mankind and look for a religion that says that God sacrificed himself for his people and his creation. There isn't one. No other religion before or after has said that God has given himself away. This is the heart of Christian theology. It is the heart of Christianity to not hold on to power, wealth, or glory, but to give ourselves away for lost people and every person in need. Amen? Including each other. If God did this for us, that's radical, it's astounding, and it changes everything. And it's the heart of what happened to the first Christians when they understood the gospel for the first time. The ideals they saw in Christ, on what he did on their behalf, they practiced towards others. So if you want a radical well of goodness and good works and generosity to flow out from you, consider Christ. Consider what he's done. It made them love the poor. It made them eager to forgive. It made them live without partiality. You know what I mean by that? They weren't partial to certain kinds of people. I hang out with white people my age that have kids that are in the same exact situation as me. I'm not, I don't want to criticize churches for doing this because I, I think there's sometimes a place for it. But that's why sometimes churches have a ministry for everything. This is the men's ministry. This is the seniors ministry. This is the teens ministry. This is the divorced people's ministry. This is, the, right? It's, there's a ministry for everyone because, because what we want to do is we want to hang out with people like us. Sometimes it's important and there's a place for that. So please don't get me wrong. But can I add something to that? That you absolutely need someone not like you. Okay? If you are getting your spiritual life only from people like you, you are missing out on the point of the church. You need to be around completely. Find someone that is the exact opposite and hang out with them for a little while. That's the church. Because there's a love for people without partiality. And that's what it made them. It made them love the poor, eager to forgive, to live without partiality. To the skeptic, you might say, you know, I don't, I don't have to be a Christian to follow these virtues. Well, of course you don't. But do you think Christians just decided one day, that, like I said before, that they were sitting around a campfire, say, hey, let's love our enemies. Let's be generous to people that are cruel to us. They, they, they were gripped by the sacrifice of Christ. It's what fueled it. And friend, if you want to really fly with this stuff, you have to be a Christian. If you like the ideals of Christianity, you need to believe on those things that they're based, you see? Or they won't make sense. They'll become old and stale. If you are a Christian, look at the kind of church this was and ask, beg, plead out to our God to form us, this church, into that kind of people. Amen? To devote themselves, to be selfless to the word of God, to prayer, to community, generosity, and worship. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are good, and your love endures forever. You are patient, 
slow to anger, and you abound in love and kindness. We ask you, God, to form in us a devotion to you, a devotion to community, a devotion to generosity, and a devotion to worship. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be that kind of church, that you would teach us how to lead each other in that direction. And friend, if you don't know Christ this morning, if you're sitting here and you've never heard about Jesus Christ, maybe you've heard of him, can I just share the gospel with you for a moment? That Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, God himself came in the flesh as the person of Jesus Christ to die for you in your place. That we are, the Bible says that we're all sinners, separated from God because of sin. And that the wages of sin is death. That is separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And whosoever believes in the name of Jesus Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you put your trust in Jesus Christ this morning? Trust in him. And he'll save you. Friend, if that's you, I just want to invite you to let that be known to me before you leave. I'm going to be standing next to this door to your right, to my left. And if that's you, please come and tell me so that I can pray with you. God, we just love you and we just thank you so much, Lord. And um, we ask that you bless our church and bless the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.